we quite purposely just sang a song of Christian warfare, of the victory of God and of Jesus Christ over all his enemies. And we, we sing that before we take up the topic that is the seventh commandment, so that even as we enter what is for many a gripping struggle, for many deep temptations, and, and for many uh, a history of guilt and pain, that we would know that in Christ that even, that as well, has been conquered, that he is the victor over all things, lust included. We turn our attention as we've been going through the Heidelberg Catechism, as well as in the mornings these past few weeks going through Proverbs, and we're going to turn to both. So we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 41. That's found on page 248 in your Forms and Prayers book in the pew in front of you as well as Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. We'll be reading the first 14 verses there. Proverbs 5 can be found on page 673. This Sunday, we're going to split this, this up into the two services. So this morning, we look at the first 14 verses. This evening, we look at the second half of this chapter. Before we read from God's Word and the Catechism, we will ask God's blessing in prayer. Lord, we have sung of your great victory, which is our hope. And we do that so that we would approach even this topic as, as victors in Christ, as not those who are uh, at, uh, in guilt or those who are thinking there is no victory here to be gained, but, but that the victory has happened already and that we are in you and in the power of the Spirit. And help then this, this word to be not only convicting, as, as of course your law is, but as well a comfort, ultimately so, and a help that we would better know how to live in righteousness before you. We ask this in your name. Amen. We're going to begin by reading the Catechism lesson. I choose to do it this way because I, I want us to know what all of God's word has to teach about this commandment, which is what the Catechism tries to do for us, tries to take the truths of God's Word and, and, and give to us a, a summary of it. And then we will read the instruction of Proverbs. Lord's Day 41. What is God's will for us in the seventh commandment? That God condemns all unchastity, and that we should therefore detest it wholeheartedly and live decent and chaste lives within or outside of the holy state of marriage. Does God in this commandment forbid only such scandalous sins as adultery? We are temples of the Holy Spirit, body and soul, and God wants both to be kept clean and holy. That is why God forbids all unchaste actions, looks, talk, thoughts, or desires, and whatever may incite someone to them. Before we read the text, I want to read that sentence, that last sentence over and what, whatever may incite someone to them. That even is outlawed in God's word as a breaking of this commandment. What would bring us, what would incite us to break it, not just the, the acts itself. Proverbs 5. Proverbs 5, beginning in verse 1. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. 
But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner, and at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed, and you say, How I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled Congregation. That's as far as we will be reading this morning. People of God, we can paint a picture of instruction, of two different instructions, two different ways, two different fathers teaching their families the way of life, the way of wisdom, which is the way of success, which is the way of, of righteousness before God, which is the way that makes the world make sense and work. And, and what is it? What do you pursue? It's a profound question, a question that must be answered. What's the best way? That is wisdom in and of itself, discerning the best way. And we have, we have two paths represented. One of those paths we know quite well. It's the path that the world paints, that the father of this world paints and presents as the best way. What does the world present as, as the best things in life? as the most fulfilling. Those things to be sought after, what do most people look for as an escape and an answer and for joy? And, and what, what the father of the world would say is, is to be instructed in the ways of physicality and lust and to pursue it. And we see it. We see it in our culture. What is the presentation in the TV shows that, that are on and the movies that are shown of, of the successful man, of the, of the hero man, of, of that? What, what, what is that in today's day and age? Well, it's someone who can have anyone he wants. It's someone who sleeps around without any guilt. It's, it's someone who is, who is so charismatic, who's so, who's so strong, so witty, that, that everyone would fall before him. He's a womanizer. He, he's that. That's what the successful man is presented as. He's got it made, is what the world would say. And you see, this is in direct conflict with what the father of Proverbs is saying. And this, by the way, applies to women as well. What's the successful woman in today's day and age? Well, the successful woman is the one who doesn't need a man, is certainly not beholden to any man, and can have it all, who can, who can have her career and can have anyone she wants to, any illicit tryst that she desires. And, and she can do that without any guilt. She can do that just like the man, just as successful. And that's presented as the picture of, of what a woman is who's, who's made it in life. You see, it's, it's directly contradictory to what God would say. It's directly contradictory to the way of wisdom. What's presented here is a warning, and a warning we need to hear. We need to hear it because it's so dangerous, it's so deadly, it's so easy to fall into to these sins, to walk down that path, because we, by our sinful natures, will gobble up the same lie that fulfillment and the best things of life fall in that category. Fulfilling lusts, 
fulfilling wrong desires. And that that's where we can find an escape. And that's where we have to battle. The introductory portion of Proverbs, chapters 1 through 9, deals with the sin of the seventh commandment, almost exclusively so, in chapters 5, 6, and 7. Three, a third of the introduction to the way of wisdom itself deals with this. Clearly, God knows our need. Clearly, God knows what will thwart someone on the path to wisdom. And our instructor in the faith, both to the son of Proverbs, as we're well aware now, this is also to all of God's people, that we would take up this and hear it. A third of the introduction to wisdom deals with protecting the seventh commandment and how you relate to it. We need to know it. And the temptation of, of physical fulfillment and joy, joy through its expression is the very lie that the world has purchased. The pornographic industry is one of the most lucrative businesses in the world. Marital infidelity is commonplace. Chastity and virginity until marriage is treated as an embarrassment. That you haven't arrived and you haven't gone through the rite of passage because of that. You see, you see how contradictory all these things are to God's way. They fly in the face of it. And why are they so strong? Because they pull our desires. They pull us physically. And, and as well tied to that is that, that thinking that if, if I have these things, then I will have made it. If I, if I'm able to, to fulfill these desires, then life would be good, at least temporarily so. But is that true? People actually see fulfilling sensual desire as an unassailable human right. That in fact it is a human right that if it were to be thwarted in any way, that you're denying something, something that's central to their existence as a human being, is what the world would say. That's, that's one of the biggest arguments pushing the LGBTQ agenda, that, that if you were to say God says this is wrong and not to pursue that, that they cannot go as they would put it to the orientation that they find most appealing, you've removed something of their very identity as a person. That's the argument. However, God's word is very clear. He, he actually calls restraint in, in this particular area all the time. He gives only one acceptable outlet. He gives only one acceptable answer to that, and that that way is far better. You see, that's what the father of Proverbs is going to do, and we'll see as we go through this text. He's trying to show how terrible Lust and its fulfillment are. How destructive, how dangerous, how they lead to your death, is what he's trying to say. He's trying to paint the picture of how bad that is to how good God's way is. Now this morning we look at the bad. This morning we look at the negative. We see what he's warning and, and what he's presenting before his son that his son would know not to follow. And it's a lesson to us all, this this is written for instructive purposes for the people of God. And so he takes up the, the mantle of a father to the son. But this isn't only a sin that men deal with. This is only a sin that, that a son would deal with. It is for us all. It is for everyone sitting here, men, women, boys, girls, young, old, to hear this and to know it. With a God of fulfilling lust in our culture, the world wonders why they see such devastation 
Why is there such an influx of abuse towards minors, they wonder? Why would marriage count less than a gym membership in today's day and age? It seems like it's actually harder to get out of a gym membership than it is a marriage today. Why is that? Women, through feminism, claim to be on top of the world. They claim to, they, they, they claim to be at the, the brink of arriving, and sadly, they're being used and abused more than they've ever have been, on screen, in person, in the very idea and mantle of what feminine, feminism takes up. It's, it's decidedly not God's answer. The, the mantle men take up is decidedly not the answer. And behind all of this is the spoken word of God telling his children, be attentive. And you see this in verse 2, through what the, the father of Proverbs would say, your lips, people of God, you sitting here, you are to be those who are full of discretion, and your lips are the ones that guard knowledge. That's what you are to be, that you would know the truth. And that would come out of your mouth isn't the lie that's being told. What would come out of your actions is certainly not fulfillment of what is false, but that you are those who know wisdom. And you see that in the, in the, the contrast between the, the lips of the righteous Son of God and the lips of the adulteress in the next verse. One guards knowledge and truth. One seems quite seductive. One seems sweet, but hides something else. And that's what we're to know. The words of the father are, are telling his son that if he pursues this path, and we would know that God's telling us the same, if you pursue this path, you will be skewered to death on the altar of fornication, physical lust. You pursue the temptress of lust, you will find a cruel truth that the little attraction and pleasure it offers will find the curtains open and the light shining and you've seen, you've lain with death itself, you've united yourself with a corpse, with hell, because that's the destination of those who throw wisdom away and listen to that seduction. Now, as we look at this text, we're going to use the language of the text, the, the language of this, this personified woman, Lady Lust, let's call her, and that's not obviously because women are somehow wired that way. Put yourself in Proverbs instruction. This is, this is a godly father to his son, a covenant son. So where will the danger come? He's saying, avoid this type of woman, avoid this lust, and that's why it's phrased that way. Now, we're meant to take that up and apply it to each of our lives. We'll see in Wisdom's Warning, which is the first 15, 14 verses, two points. We'll see that there's Temptation's Kiss, which is a double-edged sword. And then in the second point, we'll see Addiction's Fruit. First in Wisdom's Warning is, is God's Word shows that it, he's not distance, distant or naive in what faces his people. He knows that we need help here, and so he instructs us. This is an area that we can take as we've been trying to do Proverbs and make it very tangible to us, tangible to, to parents as well. Parents, how can you take up this to know that you are to instruct in very tangible and very true, honest ways your kids in these areas from the beginning ages of their life in, in age-appropriate ways? And that gets more detailed, that gets more stark, it gets more honest with them as they approach the ages and are at the time where they will face this. Look look at how honest the father of Proverbs is being. He's 
He's not mincing words. He's not taking away either side. He's not telling his son that there isn't an attraction to sin. He's, he's saying there is that, but he's saying that on the other side of it lies this death. He's being honest. Now, we can't, as parents, be afraid of the awkward conversation. And it is going to be awkward to a degree. You can't be afraid of that. Your, your, your kids need your instruction. Your kids need your love in this area to, to guard them, to instruct them in their way. We can't be afraid and run from that. We're told to, to go into it, and he does in great detail. Look at how he describes this temptation's kiss this lady lust. First, the father acknowledges, see the attraction. It comes from what our text is, is, is the forbidden woman. The, some texts say the strange woman, others the loose woman. I think uh, to say it as the loose woman probably gets it at it best. It, it's, it's meant to be very general. It's, it's meant to, to show that this woman comes in many shapes and sizes, many different ways. Even these three chapters, 5, 6, and 7, will present Lady Lust. Here it's more as, as an adulteress. In, in, in the following chapters it'll come more as, as a prostitute. In, in, in the others it'll come more as just a strange woman. It's, it's left general, purposefully so, because it comes at us from all sides. And the father is warning his son against them all, using the seventh commandment as his language to guard against it. This is an example that's meant to prove the rule. What's actually, what's actually commanded against here is any lustful expression towards one who is not your biblically lawful mate. Any expression that's outside the bonds of marriage, any lustful physical expression outside of that is to follow lady lust, is what Proverbs would say. Whatever it is. And that's why I preface what the Catechism is teaching from God's Word. Even the steps to that, that you're knowingly following, that would lead you there. It's to follow this lady lust. Why? Why is it so deadly? Well, it's... it's Father acknowledges because it's so alluring, it's so tr attractive. Lady Lust comes at, at the sun and she'll come at it with, with all that she has to offer. Her lips drip honey. It's, it's sweet. What, but what is this describing? You know, it also talks about her, her, her mouth being as smooth as oil, her palate being as smooth as oil. You know what the father of Proverbs is doing here? He's using language that, that sort of applies to the whole thing because is, you could ask yourself, is this applying to her, her words? Is that sometimes the way the Bible speaks, that her, her lips drip honey? Well, does that mean the way she speaks? Or, or is that, in one sense, just drawing attention to, to the attraction itself? I'd say it would be both. He's using language that can go both ways, meaning it to go both ways. That whether it's the physicality there, whether it's, it's the seduction in words there, it drips honey, it seems smooth as oil. Our bodies want it. Our bodies crave it. That's why it's so strong. It so pulls us. And he acknowledges that. That's what you're going to face. You begin to see, though, that contrast between these lips and what the lips of, of a godly son is to have. That's why temptation is so strong. But you know why it's all so strong? Sin is alluring. Sin. We find it exciting. Most lustful thoughts, most of those temptations come to us and they're of sinful expressions in every way because that's what's also even more exciting. It's sin. You see, it's a corruption. 
It isn't real. You know, it's not truly what physicality has to offer that, that fully explains that pull on us, but that we actually desire because of our old sinful nature, sin itself. Proverbs will talk about the, the stolen fruit, the stolen goods being sweeter, meaning that it's, it's that very desire to sin that often is what we're after, that often it provides that excitement. I believe it was St. Augustine who talks about having stolen fruit that he didn't even want or care about, but because of the thrill of it. That's Lady Lust. That's what she's presenting. Temptation is strong. And we continue to think it holds the answer to happiness or fulfillment, at least temporarily so. And the temptress's smooth, honey-like words sound so good, but behind every case of adultery, behind every click on every website, behind every piece of literature we shouldn't read, every video we shouldn't watch, behind every act that violates the seventh commandment was the deception in our hearts that this action held fulfillment and, what, and was at least in part the avenue that would bring us what we desired and that God's way was not as good that his way was not as wise. That's what lies behind every choice we make in this area, that it can't be. You see, that's what it means to listen to your, your, your body, your mind, the desire for sin. And it's not the way of wisdom. Go back to the, the way we, we began, these two different competing sons. You have the son of the world, this womanizing horrible person, really meaning he's enslaved to lust. He can't control his own body. Is that wise? It isn't the way. It isn't the answer. Man or woman pursuing that and thinking that that's the, the secret recipe to life's joy is just not true. It's false. Don't be fooled on the path of temptation's kiss that may see, seem so sweet. Behind every time we, we, we choose to go to her route is an amazing amount of self-deception. Because you know what we often do? We often tell ourselves that, that what we're about to do isn't that bad. This is often the way it goes. We, we know it's wrong, but it's, it's, a, it's a pretty minor one, we'll tell ourselves. You see, what we're actually doing is we're trying to get onto Lady Lust's path to follow that direction by a bunch of, of, of tiny choices that don't seem so severe. You see, you wouldn't necessarily just, just choose from, from before the path to falling into sin. You wouldn't necessarily just say, that's what I'm going to do right there. It's a bunch of little decisions and choices that sort of guide us and lead us there and each time we're deceiving ourselves and saying I know that this is sin I know that it's wrong but it's really not that bad I can live with this I can live with with looking at this or reading this or thinking this I can live with that it's just in my mind it's just this this small thing Self-deception, self-lying, going after what, yes, a body might desire, what, yes, a body might crave, but in a way that will never satisfy, in a way that's decidedly a lie. Illustrate this with a fire. Some of the sins that, that we can end up in, 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 in the violation of the Seventh Commandment, let's represent as a gigantic log, a fireplace log, that this is this huge thing. And you would never expect that you would have been able to burn that in your desires of lust. 
And the truth is, that's not the way you do it. That's not the way the fire of lust is burnt. That's not the way you follow Lady Lust. How is it followed? You don't just strike the little match, that little fire that is burning there, and plop that type of log on it. No, it will not burn it. But as all of you know, how do you build a proper good fire? You take little twigs and you snap them and you put one little twig on it and then the next and then the next and then it gets more. You need, you need, you need sticks. And guess what? How quickly does a fire that started as a little flame that could not consume that log, how quickly does it end up that that log isn't near enough to satisfy the, the flame of that fire? That's what lust is. That's what it is to follow that. It cannot be controlled. It's a raging fire. It will consume you. It will take you past the point you ever thought that you could go, all along the way deceiving yourselves that these weren't as bad as you thought, or they were, but by the next time you you desire it, you're willing to make the same compromise. And that fire just grows. You know, sin is not content. And Lady Lust is not content to let you stay at, at even just the what you would call minor sin levels. There's no such thing as a minor sin. But even what you might perceive yourself, it's not just going to stay there. It will drag deeper and deeper into worse expressions of itself because it's counterfeit. It's counterfeit. It's not the answer. God created us good. And created that expression to be given to marriage itself. Well, if it's outside the bounds of marriage, it will continue to pull and drag because what's, what's not there is what God had intended. What's not there is, is fellowship with another. What's not there is that, that, that lust, or let's just now call it in a proper sense because it's not sinful, a, a godly, righteous, natural attraction is meant to be used in marriage. And there it finds its answer, and there it finds itself fulfilled. It's kept there, and it's kept there properly so, and is a wonderful thing. We'll look more about that tonight. But outside of it, it needs more and more of those logs to feed it, and it will continue to pull down. Sins that you'd never realize. It takes only these, these looks that, that pull you in, only these desires that keep you going. What the father would be describing to his son is that this fulfillment is only a moment. It's only a moment, and then the honey that was on the lips drops off, and that tongue that seems so smooth and so inviting turns out to be a sword. And later, Proverbs will describe this, this adulteress, this prostitute, this lady lust as having dead things, dead men in her house. It's a morgue. It's death. It's, it's the pathway to death, and that's, that's what it is. And the Father of Proverbs is saying, despite what might seem that sweetness, despite what might seem that excitement and that answer, on the flip side is death itself, and you know it immediately, because what does lust and pursuing lady lust bring? Well, it does not bring contentment, and it does not bring satisfaction, and it does not bring peace. It brings immediately so guilt and shame. That's the immediate fruits of it. It very properly turns from what seemed like honey to be what wormwood is, the text says. Wormwood is so bitter, it's so vile. It's, it's actually, many people would call it a poison. It's, it, it's gone from what seemed like that sweetness to what is this bitter pill to swallow that will cause death as it's imbibed. 
that's lust and that's death. You see, what, the, what, what God himself is doing through this is he's warning us. Because you know what we can think in our sinful minds? Sometimes we think, oh, if only I wasn't beholden to God, if, if only I didn't have to follow him, there's this, this, this appealing life out there. That life the world is, is saying is the best one, as we've already talked about. Go pursue that, and in that there's happiness. God is good. He's not keeping us from the better avenue of life. We can deceive ourselves and think that if, if only I could express it. If only I could express it with someone who's, who's not my spouse. If only I could express it because I'm single and I would like to. If only I could do that, I'd have it. God is good and he's not, he's not keeping from you what would make your life truly blessed. No, he's warning that, that to follow that will bring a curse. It isn't the better way. As much as we would want to convince ourselves it is, it's not even in contemplation. Verse 6 says that this adulteress, this lady lust, she does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander. She does not know it. You're following someone who's decidedly a fool. You're, you're jumping on to the bandwagon of her life, of lady lust's life, when you follow lust and thinking that lust will bring you to the right life, but it won't because lust is destructive. And here this personification of it is described as being without any understanding, without life, without wisdom, she wanders. That's the warning, but now you see the fruit, addiction's fruit in verses 7 through 14. In verse 7, the father reiterates the need for his children to listen, to, to not court this. He goes to the plural here. He, he calls to all of his sons, all of us, all of us sitting here. This, this lady lusts, this desire, be it towards any expression, be it towards the opposite, be it towards the same sex, any expression of it, any manifestation of lust will chew you up and spit you out, and here's the fruit. Sin will breed warp lusts, it will produce the same things we see in our cultures. Homosexuality, abuse, abuse of minors, bestiality, rampant adultery, and things we won't even mention. And the danger is that the start for these types of things lies in your pocket, a touchscreen away. See how necessary wisdom is? I'm just picking that because that's probably the most common form of, of lustful expression in today's day and age, but it's beyond that as well. It's, it's all around us. bombards you. And if you want to be a wise son or daughter in God's household, what are you going to do against this bombardment? You need to know what it produces. You need to know what the first line of defense is. What does verse 8 say? Keep your way far from her and don't go near the door of her house. Run, is what the text says. Father is saying, don't stand there and let Lady Lust tempt you. That is not a mark of strength. It's not a mark of strength to stand there and let yourself be tempted. Strength comes in running. Joseph and Potiphar's household showed that with, with the temptation of Potiphar's wife. You see a wonderful expression there. She's like, in one sense, an embodiment of what this is. Here's this, this adulterous lady bringing all of the charms that she can bring, orchestrating a perfect situation to fulfill these things, and Joseph doesn't stand there and consider it. He runs away. And Jesus will say in his words to cut off the members that cause us to sin, to cut it off. Well, how do you do that? 
Well, dating couples, don't put yourself in compromising, easy-to-fall situations. Guard yourselves. Be willing to, to maybe not do all of the, the same events and, and things that you would do if it's going to place you in a situation that would be very easy to fall. And I would call both of you as you're dating, express godly wisdom and godly strength, both of you, and, and one towards the other. Keep yourselves accountable. That's what you're, you're called to do. Have that patience. What about for others? Well, don't stay in places of that sin. Don't stay at work late. Don't go to lunch one-on-one. Maybe you need to put software on your phone. Maybe you need someone to keep you accountable Get rid of devices and things that would cause that. Open up about it. That's how you you cut off such sins. That's the the measures we need to take. And sometimes they are quite radical because the danger is is that present. If you start down the path of lust and sin, seek help. Talk to someone. Young people, talk to your parents. Sons, speak to your fathers. Daughters, to mothers. Women, to wise women. Men, to wise men. Speak to your office bearers. Seek help. Don't allow it to be there. Run. That's the way of wisdom. Confess our sins. Now all these are great helps. All these are places to start. All these things, these practical matters, are a way in which we can try to keep the text, and none of them in and of themselves will mean an ounce of good unless you're running to a destination. You don't run from Lady Lust to just run heedlessly and without your mind anywhere you'd go. You run to someone else. You run to Christ, and that's the answer there. As necessary as all these practical things might be, you run, you run to a destination, you run to a person, you run to him. Truly, the only way to do this will be a heart that desires him more than it. Because what you cannot do is you cannot combat the sweetness of Lady Lust's temptations with just a determination that you're not going to do it. You have to replace it and be strengthened by a relationship that is far greater and far stronger, and it's depicted in Proverbs as Lady Wisdom. That's the one you court. Didn't I just say, run to Christ? Who's this Lady Wisdom and Lady Christ? Well, in Proverbs, they are somewhat the same thing, because wisdom is just being personified as this counter-Lady Lust, as well as this Lady Wisdom. That was a common way of depicting it, but we know from chapters like Proverbs 8 and other places in God's Word that Jesus is truly the wisdom of God. Truly the wisdom of God is to run to wisdom, which is to run to him itself. So by the strength of your relationship with Jesus himself, you're able now to thwart the attempts and temptations of Lady Lust. You've replaced lust with love and true love to God because, and we need to hear this, this is why we sang the song we did before and why we'll sing the song we will after, Christ, Lady Wisdom, is far stronger than Lady Lust. Truth be told. Now, you might be in a situation so enmeshed, so, in, so fighting it that it would seem like that can't not be the case, that Lady Lust seems way stronger, but she's not. And as you run to Lady Wisdom, as you run to Christ himself, there is greater strength there, there is greater answer there, there is deliverance there. And it comes in that walk with him. Verses 9 through 11 show the real fruit of what falling to lady lust and adultery means. 
Commentators are actually a bit confused as to how verses 9 and 10 connect adultery to this fruit. They, they would wonder, how can pursuing this lust, pursuing adultery in this context, lead to a loss of honor to others? How can it end up with laboring in, in others' houses or a foreigners' house? This idea it really talks about almost being enslaved to these other people. Well, how could it lead to that? Well, I believe that the Father of Proverbs is being very general to encompass all the wreckage that comes from courting this lust. It's easy to see how honor is lost, even in our culture, which is desensitized to it. Scandals come from, from adultery and cheating on one's spouse, especially of the public figures. It's still scandalous to do those things. It's, it's mired in us that it is dishonorable to reject vows, to cheat as it's rightly put. It is dishonoring. It is a loss of honor. So we can see that. But what about the, the payments that are too great to pay? What is this talking about? I think it could be something as the idea in the ancient Near East that there would have been, if this was found out, as surely as it would be, there would be remuneration that would have to be given. In Israel, the punishment of adultery was death. At the time, it may have also taken up a, a monetary payment, an enslavement of the one caught into it to the reproached husband, to the one who was sinned against. You could be using that, and, and I think it probably rightly is depicting that kind of cultural idea, but, but to apply it to us, it, it, it's the full manifestation of the fruit. Lust may not lead today to, to enslavement in that sense, but it enslaves and you know that if you've at all sinned against it, it's, it's enslaving and enslaves you. It also does take away life, and I think that's what the, the Father is saying. It zaps away your life. It takes your strength. It takes the best you have to offer, and you've wasted it. Just to illustrate it, have you ever just spent a lot of time doing something that was really meaningless, and you're like exhausted or tired from whatever you were doing? Maybe you have it from, from playing like games or video game or something. You, you, you spent a ton of time. You weren't really intending to spend that much time. You spent all that time, and then afterwards you were, you're just tired, and you're like, why did I do that? I just really wasted a bunch of, of opportunity. I wasted a, a vitality to my day and spent it on nothingness. Well, as, as a minor suggestion as that might be, is what happens with this. You look back on years of your life and you've seen it was frittered away. It was frittered away on, on pursuits that were wrong and sinful and that took your life away. And you, you ended up giving it to others. And we can speak of that even today. Sexual immorality may not lead to that, to, to that type of slavery, but it does enslave. It leads to alimony. It leads to child support. It leads to broken homes. It leads to hurt, to jealousy, to loneliness. And even as verse 11 might seem to indicate the connection to wasting diseases. And that's what it leads. And finally, the, the father of Proverbs is telling his son, Listen, son, I know where you will end up if you pursue this. You will, you will find yourself at the end of the day distraught and in shame, counting what it costs you. Because brothers and sisters, there's always a cost always to breaking this commandment and it's always more than what you wanted or could pay every single time every single one memories that are left images that need to be dealt with trust that's broken 
all of these things, just guilt and shame, it costs far, far more than truly what it was worth. That's what he's saying. You will waste your life in every violation of it. And that's what we see in, in those verses, in verses 12 to 14. Guilt, shame, regret. The son would, if he was to follow that path, would say at the end of his life, in despair, I did not listen to you. I despised wisdom. I despised instruction. And here I am. And, and how, does he, how does he say it in verse 14? I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembly, in the church, in the congregation. I am at the brink of utter ruin. That is not a statement blown out of proportion. That is literally the result of those who follow this path. They would say they brought their life to utter ruin. That's where it leads. It's a sad path, but even as we conclude this morning, we have a victory, and that's what we'll speak more tonight. Tonight we'll speak more of God's answer and the hope that comes in the second half, but we hear this warning and we take then what the Father's intent is. His intent to this warning is to tell us to, to flee to Lady Wisdom, to flee to Christ itself, and to know that there's strength there to overcome. We'll look, at, look more on that tonight. But know that in your struggle, don't court it. Don't walk down that path. Flee and run to Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask for strength, ask for strength to keep your law, ask for strength to keep this commandment and to, to fight against lady lust, to fight against what is sinful and give to each of us strength, give to, to those who are broken and in need that you would, you would give your balm, your influence of the gospel, that for those who stand on, on decisions that need to be made, that you would help them make the wise choice and to run straight into your arms. We ask this in your name. Amen.